Nahum is a bit of a confusing Navi. Nahum ha el Koshi from Al Kosh, which is believed to be in modern day Iraq, actually part of the territory that was controlled by ISIS. And uh, Nahum's tomb was um, under threat of um, potentially being destroyed. Um, and and we're reading uh, Nahum Hal Koshi just after we've we've finished Micha and before Micha we read uh, Sefer Yona, and both Yona and Nahum have an entire prophecy focused on Nineveh. But as Rav Joe hinted at earlier, these, their prophecies are rather different. Yona brings the people to repent. Nahum seems to have given up hope and warns Nineveh that their mighty city will soon come to ruin. Why do these two prophets have such different retellings of Assyrian history? So taking into account that they may have prophesied, prophesied in completely different centuries and in different locations, I'll take a stab at answering the question. The imagery Nahum employs in chapter 1 is powerful. God melts hills, causes mountains to quake, dries up the sea, and it's the type of imagery that's necessary for a city like Nineveh, part of the Assyrian Empire, a mighty empire whose crime in this chapter appears to be that they plotted against Hashem. In verse 9, Why do you plot against Hashem? God is warning them of their coming uh, destruction using the only language that they're familiar with, language of power and might. We aren't told whether Nineveh heeds God's warnings, as they do in Yonah's retelling, but if we accept the theory of many historians that this is around the time of Nineveh's destruction by the Babylonians in 612 BCE, then we can assume that Nineveh did not heed Nahum's warning. Unless, unless this sefer is not meant for Nineveh at all. Rather, it's possible that the audience here are Jews. The strongest in indication for this is chapter 2, a complete change of tone and subject. The first verse. <laughs> Behold on the hills the footsteps of a herald announcing good fortune. Celebrate your festivals, your Chagim, O Judah. Fulfill your vows. Never again shall scoundrels invade you. They have totally vanished. Happy times. Fulfill your vows. Rashi says these are the vows that the Jewish people made to themselves when they said, Oh, if, if only we could defeat Sancheirub, king of Ashur, king of Assyria. Well, now is the time. You will succeed. Rashi is saying that Nahum is essentially trying to push the Judean soldiers out the door. It's a pep talk. In verse 3, For the Lord has restored the, proud of Yaakov, the pride of Yaakov as well as the pride of Israel, though marauders have laid them waste and ravaged their branches. The Jews don't 
take up this fight, however. And the commentators see this maybe as a manifestation of their, their weak trust in Hashem. And then comes chapter 3. And because Ninveh's destruction is coming, it, it really it seemed to have no impact whether or not the kingdom of Judah would actually react in response to, to the prophecy in chapter 2. Um, but in chapter 3, the, the Hebrew here shows Nahum poetically rattling off the dark days coming for Nineveh. Crack of whip and rattle of wheel, galloping steed and bounding chariot, charging horsemen, flashing swords and glittering spears, hosts of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without number, they stumble over the bodies. It's rough. I mean, this is like a, this is a very intense prophecy. And in verse 8, Nahum asks an interesting question. Hatevti mi Noamon? Were you any better than Noamon? Which sat by the Nile, surrounded by water, its rampart a river, its wall consisting of sea? JPS states that Noamon is referring to the city of Thebes, which the Assyrians had destroyed some years earlier. It was apparently the capital of Egypt at that time, and the news of its destruction had reverberations around the Middle East. So Nahum says to Ninveh, do you actually think you're more difficult to conquer than the impenetrable city of Thebes? And so now the, the subject of the, of the chapter, of chapter 3, is again focused on Ninveh having moved away from the Jewish people in chapter 2. And in his, his dark prophecies that he's, that he's um, evoking against Ninveh, it seems like Nahum is expecting a response. And, and Midrash Tanhuma has a, has a really nice uh, commentary on this. They say that anytime there's a question in Tanakh, it's, it's Hashem asking for an answer from the Briot, from the creations. And, and maybe Nahum actually wishes that Ninveh would respond to the question here. And so maybe while we're considering whether Nahum has made a case for himself that he's the greatest verbal illustrator in Tanakh, which he might be, um, I just want to share some more of the imagery that he uses towards the end of the chapter. Notice it's going to be nostalgic speaking of Assyria's glorious past, and it's going to be directed at the king. But unlike the book of Yonah, it appears that Ninveh's fate has already been sealed. You had more traitors than the sky has stars. The grubs cast their skins and fly away. Your guards were like locusts, your marshals like piles of grasshoppers which settle on the stone fences on a chilly day. When the sun comes out, they fly away. And where they are, nobody knows. Your shepherds are slumbering, O king of Assyria. Your sheep masters are lying inert. Your people are scattered over the hills, and there is none to gather them. There is no healing for your injury. Your wound is grievous. But then Nahum provides us with one more twist to end the Sefer. If you aren't like listening to the recording right now with full intention, totally fine. Um... I suggest everybody go back and read this chapter with the words in front of you. Because the last question in this last verse stings. Kol shemei shemecha taku chafalecha. 
All who hear of what happened to you clap their hands in applause. Ki, because, al milu avrara te chatamid. Who has not suffered from your constant evil? Chapter one is a prophecy that seems to be directed solely at Nineveh. Counter to Yonah successfully beseeching the Syrians to repent, Nahum seems to be prophesying just before Nineveh's destruction is set to arrive. Chapter 2 is focused on how the Jews should respond, encouraging them to take action while Assyria appears to be weak. Chapter 3 paints a picture of a universal suffering that's perpetrated by Nineveh. It frames this sefer in the larger picture, showing us how it has already affected the whole region with the destruction of, of uh, Minavo in, in, uh, um, in Egypt, but also what's to come with the destruction of Assyria. Both Yonah and Nahum remind us that there's a world outside the Jewish people and that they too receive prophecy. But as we prepare, prepare to read the next sefer, of Habakkuk Kanavi and his prophecy of the destruction of Judah, we should remember that while the Jewish people's history is painful, they are not the only ones suffering, and our history is not the only history.